Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another installment of our Energy in Transition talks. Today, we're focusing on AI, specifically in around generative AI and uh, what this means, how the best practices and how we're actually going to uh, uh, apply this to uh, the energy transition marketplace. Uh, this will be a two-part session today, uh, starting out in part one. And uh, visiting me again in part two is probably the busiest person in CGI right now. We were just talking about that. Dr. Diane Gushu, uh, our head of AI in CGI. Would you want to say hello, Dan? Hi, great to meet with you again, Peter, and have this conversation. Yeah, thank you. We we did one of these a few weeks back, uh, actually almost a couple of months back, I guess now, where we talked about data and the importance of data here, and I'm sure we're going to get into it. Uh, I know you've just done a couple of big presentations to some of our larger customers on this, but, you know, I, a lot of people have questions about AI. You know, should we be afraid of AI? How do we manage the risk? Uh, you know, what's coming next? What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's probably a question we get both inside and outside of work as we dig deeper into AI. You know, AI is inevitable, and we've been using it in all of our uh, interactions and household events. Anyone that orders anything off of Amazon, anyone who's on social media who wonders why when you have a conversation about a canoe, suddenly every canoe ad comes up in your Facebook and Instagram you know, these are fantastic tools that have been used to serve us information that that these platforms think we need or to prepare packages to be closer to us so we're able to get that next day delivery. You know, AI is inevitable. We're going to start to see it embedded into all of our day-to-day -day productivity tools. And, you know, it, it's a tool. You know, I think very similar to the adoption of the internet, I think we're really going to be leveraging AI when we start to forget that it's there and, and understand and have transparency into the processes and uh, become discernible in what's being delivered to us, very similar to, to how we use the internet and know what's trustworthy. And when we're looking at AI in a business context, again, remembering it's just a tool that we develop the tool to meet the purpose that we intend. And as long as we put the guardrails in place for responsible development, use, uh, and build out of these tools, it's the the power and the opportunities are unlimited, as well as being discerning and knowing what kind of technologies we need to debunk the things that aren't true, that are false, that could be harmful, are all also um, very important and big opportunities. So no, I don't believe we need to be afraid of AI, but I do think that we need guardrails in place. You know, it is absolutely inevitable that AI is going to become more and more prevalent in our day-to-day -day lives and becoming discerning individuals and in what we see as important. Yeah, maybe I could add to that. I mean, I was at a session a few weeks ago in Toronto uh, uh, with the IDC presenting, and they had their sort of research that they had done. And they talked about how uh, CEOs were uh, and CIOs, their number one concern is, where is this AI going to be? what kind of data is going to it and how secure is that? Any thoughts on those two points? Yeah, when we've done a lot of work around that, you know, what part of the fear with that is the open models that are so publicly accessible. It's really hard to have the transparency to see what that information was trained on or the source of the output it's feeding you back. You know, so when we look at it in a business context, I think we need to, to really use the same type of data and information privacy and 
um, the containers we use with our own information sharing with, with sensitive information. If you're using a public model, it's no different than using a public forum as a developer uh, looking for advice, looking for input on something. Um, but you don't share your sensitive information in that public forum. Once you lock it down in a secure and safe environment uh, within a secure cloud with all of the security protocols, you can still leverage the, the incredible power of these generative AI solutions, but nothing goes back out, nothing comes in, you can constrain the parameters so it's really focused on the problem you're addressing. And, and that's you know really key to the question, I think, and the answer. Yeah, I know when I was learning structured programming many moons ago, so that shows you how old I am, um, is that, you know, I was always looking at the outcome in mind and then looking forward. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are approaching this as if they got a shiny new hammer and they go, oh, what can we hit with this? And they're all excited about doing something with it. And then they're looking, at, suddenly they've got themselves caught up in, re, uh, you know, the issues that come out from that repercussions of just jumping into it. So your suggestion is following a bit more of a, a structured approach. Do you want to cover that off briefly for us? Well, I think it's really critical that we're not just developing AI for the sake of AI. If we have a problem that we're trying to solve, that's a good data solution or a good AI solution that may be able to address it. You start with what's that problem. And that helps you start to contain the information and the models you use. It's a good point. Generative AI is a great tool, but it's not the answer to every problem. If you start with what's the question you're trying to answer, then look at what information is needed. Um, you can start to then systematically develop, okay, now what model am I going to use to use this information to get the output I'm looking for? Um, so having a focused approach in your implementation is is really going to help start to start organizations being able to leverage and accelerate their AI journeys and scale it with with a purpose in mind. That's also really critical to getting a return on your investment for what you're developing in AI. And I think it's all about de-risking and those sort of things. And I think that, again, where people have sort of jumped into it, one of the uh, gentlemen uh, we, I saw when I was actually at the Inlet uh, uh, Europe event, which is a huge utility event uh, last week in Paris, one group was talking about even using personal assistance uh, for helping the workforce be more efficient in the workforce. And then uh, 20 minutes later, we ran into somebody and says, oh, I'm not going to do anything with AI to understand the value of it. There's a real dichotomy of people. But what's your thought on that, A, the, the sort of the use of personal assistance? And why are some people still being, maybe I don't see the benefit of this? Well, again, it's really what is the problem you're trying to solve? You know, a great use case in that personal assistant or expert advice would be a contact center. You know, there's a lot of legacy knowledge that's retiring with us baby boomers, or maybe you baby boomers. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite a baby boomer. But uh, with, with the, the generation that's retiring, you know, 40% of the workforce is going to retire in the next five to 10 years. And the new uh, incoming workforce don't have that legacy knowledge of the last 40, 50 years um, that's going out with the retirees. So by using these tools, to mine information across multiple documents and unstructured data and incident databases very rapidly and provide answers to questions that someone would have known just from experience is really a groundbreaker in, in these personal lists. You know, I need to come up with a, a wording for my out of office or help me design my, you know, whatever. And, and I think there's some good uses with that as well, where, where it can give you some insights and some value and past information. But I think the real targeted, you know, being able to provide 
rapid information to to knowledge across multiple different types of media is really where we're starting to see that quick value. And and I think that's a quantum jump. I think the energy and utility industry has been using machine learning for a long time to optimize asset systems, even um, routing of vehicles and things like that. Uh, but I think this idea of looking at unstructured data and being able to bring it forward, I think one of the things you said before, AI isn't going to make a dumb person smart, but it can definitely make a smart person more efficient. If I've quoted you right, maybe you can correct me where I go wrong on that one. <laughs> but, but the idea here is really uh, all that unstructured data is now a, a resource to it and health and safety, 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 and ensuring the grid or ensuring the pipelines that our customers bring forward is a key factor. And they can't know all the stuff and all that unstructured data all the time. So having it there in time and in the situation is really what you're saying is now coming forward with this type of tool. Well, absolutely. You know, another great use case when you talk about assets is, you know, the number of technical manuals for all of these assets that work together on the grid. You know, it's it's just a huge amount of information that someone would have to mine through if you're relatively new, if you're replacing someone, or if it's an asset that doesn't often fail. So if you had all of those technical manuals in PDFs and Word documents in training that's available as well as past incidents, and you were able to bring back that information in context, then you've saved yourselves all of that manual effort of going to look for it. And you've provided not only an answer to your question, but then you can have that interaction on, okay, now what's my next best action? And that's the amazing power of generative AI. That's what's blown us all away is unstructured data, narrative data, and and lots of different media was always hard. The other thing that is coming quickly is the ability now to to use images and be able to say, what's this thing or what's wrong with this thing um, as another tool and be able to get the feedback very quickly on things that, again, you would turn to somebody with 40, 50 years experience and say, hey, what's this thing? Yeah, and I think I think driving efficiency. I mean, you just talked about everything you said would mean faster uptime for repairs. Um, you know, our industry has a concept of a compatible units, meaning this transformer versus that transformer, but maybe they are radically different uh, connection points from one than the other. So having that sort of brought forward, I definitely see that. Um, but you do, you don't deal in just our industry. I know you were just talking to one of our big telco providers, uh, customers uh, the other day, uh, insurance industry, banking, like. What do you see that this industry might be able to use for customer service or just improving, you know, how they perform? Yeah, I think there's a lot of use cases that go across multiple um, different industries and focusing on those manual activities where we lose time in searching for information. That, to me, is the best use of generative AI immediately out of the box. It's uh, a very, very rapid return on investment because you can focus it just on the documents and the information that you want. So it can be anything from, as we said, you know, technical manuals and and guidelines for, for contact centers, but also for policy development, for contracts. Um, there, anything that, that requires you to go back and look through lots of different information for context, it pulls that information together incredibly rapidly. And, and those are the sorts of use cases. The other one that, that has been um, really taking off is code modernization, because inherent in these uh, generative AI tools is the ability to understand programming languages like FoxPro and COBOL, where there's less and less skills. And you can say, what was this piece of code doing? You can extract metadata, which has always been a hard manual task. 
And you can also ask it to, to move the code into a more modern format. And that functionality comes right with these generative AI tools, which is revolutionary. Oh, that's brilliant. I, so you're telling me I have to rethink my uh, going back my retirement plans on going back to programming COBOL. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's funny. I saw a good joke on that. There still needs to be somebody that can validate what it comes up with is accurate. So that one one COBOL programmer still has a job, I think, Peter. <laughs> okay, then I, there, there's good news for me. Um, you know, and th I think this is the the idea is I, so you've covered a lot of ground. People shouldn't be afraid of this. It's understanding what they're trying to deal with, understanding how do they have access to the data. We talked about that in the previous call, uh, and then looking for the tool. I think is what you say. A lot of people are starting with the tool and then trying to find the data and then saying what can I do with it. They're doing it exactly backwards. So. Just uh, as we wrap up this part of the episode uh, and go, we'll pick it up in episode two, what's your thoughts on that sort of looking at it in the right direction? Well, I think it's a use case. It needs to be use case driven. You need to you need to know what your purpose is. And sometimes, you know, it's a predictive model. I need to be able to forecast or predict and prescribe a, something which will help you inform what AI model. It, and generative AI has some very clear use cases that, you know, it may very easily be. We want this use case and this tool hand in hand. But I, I think it's important not to limit ourselves to assuming that every chatbot now needs to have generative AI. You know, depending on the use of and, and the need and the questions you're asking, the type of technology, the cost associated with that technology, as well as the type of data it needs to consume needs to be considered. And it well, all comes to that return on investment. You know, if you can do something simply, it always makes sense to do something simply. Yeah, I think ROI is the big point. I, uh, definitely in this industry, it's important. So we'll wrap up today. Thank you very much, Diane. And we'll pick this up in episode two, where we're going to explore a little bit more what this means specifically uh, for the energy transition. Thank you very much. Thank Great. you, Diane. Thanks, Peter.